On this episode of the Other Bundesliga podcast, we've got washed out games, whitewashed wins, an unlikely point out of the blue and some good old European balls pulled from a pot as well. Hello and welcome to another weekly episode of the Other Bundesliga podcast. We've got league games and European draws to discuss on the pod today. My name is Tom Midler and with me to discuss the Austrian game this week is special guest and friend of the pod, Anna Konovalova. Anna, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Hello, everyone. Happy to be on the pod again. (laughs) Yeah, really nice to have you back on the pod. I'm sure this won't be the last time that you're guest starring on the Other Bundesliga. But we've watched now match day two of the Bundesliga season. The winners literally were Salzburg, Sturm, Rapid and Austria-Vienna. The losers, VSG, Lask, Altach and Lustenau. Blauweiss and Hartberg drew their game 3-3 and Klagenfurt against VRC was postponed until Wednesday the 9th of August. Those were the literal winners and losers from this weekend. But Anna, who or what had a good or bad weekend this weekend Uh, I'll give that choice to you first to name because I've got a whole list of goods and bads and I'm sure you have too so maybe we can start with positive things to like sweeten things up a little bit before we get to you know the typical stuff of criticizing everything and everyone maybe that sounds good a nice place to start those who read me on twitter know that I'm mostly criticizing everyone and uh so um Let's start with slightly more positive things and uh, maybe the first game that uh, is nice to discuss about that is the Salzburg game against uh, Tyrol. It was a nice and tidy win, but there is one person that needs to be highlighted there. It was Mats Bistrup, uh, who made his uh, starting 11 debut in uh, this Salzburg squad. Uh, Of course, yeah, it was the first game of Gerhard Strube on the touchline as well. And we've already seen his touch and it's directly connected to uh, Mats Bistro because the m- biggest changes we have seen are in the organization of the midfield in Salzburg. Because, yeah, actually, despite uh, Nicky Zeibel's perfect performances before his departure to uh, Leipzig and so on, uh, were the Salzburg's midfield for a while in the last uh, month of Matthias Jaisler reign uh, have drawn some criticism, so uh, it is logical to see the first changes there. And uh, first, we've seen that uh, Struber slightly reorganized uh, the midfield, and it's not as a uh, it's not shaped as a clear diamond as before. It's more of a four-two-two-two type of things, but it's fluid, and uh, we have to see more to like really understand his concept. But so far, it looks in that direction. And Bistrup, in his combination with Luca Gornaduat uh, at the uh, core of this new system, uh, looks very, very promising. And there is a big chance that we will uh, forget about Nicky Zabel's departure really fast. I was actually commentating on the Leipzig game that they played this weekend. They're friendly against Las Palmas. And uh, I watched Nicky Seibert come on. And um, yeah, it was, it was sort of nice to see him uh, playing with Leipzig in a weird way. And, and Benjamin Sheshko actually scored a really nice goal in that game. And I have a feeling they're going to get on well over there. But we got a question that links in well to what you said. I'm really nice to talk about Bidstrup, who's come in from Brentford in England. 
But the question was, will Strubzy, as uh, they've called him, will Gerhard Struber surprise us this season on the touchline for Red Bull Salzburg? Uh, it is a big question and I do not think anyone has an answer to that before because for, uh, on one point we all understand that uh, Struber uh, is uh, Red Bull football through and through. He's been a part of the system for such a long time and he's been at the New York Red Bulls as well. But uh, he also attracted some criticism recently, uh, especially during his time at the New York Red Bulls. And uh, I think we can also slightly, um, we cannot conclude that his football, his way of, uh, his teams have been playing for the past uh, several seasons, are slightly more conservative to what we are used to seeing uh, at Salzburg, even in Jaisler's second year, which was much more conservative than uh, we are used to in Salzburg. And it's slightly more direct, it's slightly less intricate, it's um, it's slightly, it has different focuses than what we normally see as the good old classical understanding of Red Bull football philosophy, even though the basis and the core of that is the same. So, uh, and, and he also has a difficult task of overtaking a team without having spent the preseason with the team, obviously. And if he wants to implement changes, and we're already seeing that his uh, ideas are different and he wants to change things, will he achieve it in uh, the time necessary to uh, fully adapt and fully embody the new concepts? Um, we'll see that. I'm probably slightly more pessimistic than optimistic about that, but that's like my personal opinion. And I would be really happy to be uh, surprised by that. <laughs> yeah, I suppose this comes back to the question of, of whether he will surprise us or not. That depends what you're looking for, really, doesn't it? Because uh, you're right about the, the formation changes, the way he's got this Red Bull Ausbildung, you know, the education. We all expect him to play a certain way. But some people expect Salzburg, of course, to win the title, as they always do. And other people expect them to sort of fail this year. So it's hard to say whether for you, a surprise would be them winning the title or a surprise would be them not winning the title. I guess from our perspective, having always seen Salzburg and only Salzburg lift the trophy, it still would be the surprise if Gerhard Struber was not able to take them to the championship title in the Bundesliga this season. So I guess second or worse would still be the surprise from from our perspective. But um, you could see that one in, in a lot of different ways. But um, I'm ready to be to be surprised by Strubzi in the positive and or negative senses. I'm ready to see them play. You're right that they, uh, they battled away against VSG, won 3-0. Konate looked good. I had somebody on the... Um, on the it was a bad week list though from Salzburg and uh, it was from one moment in particular and I, I would put Amar Didic in the bad week column because <laughs> his lovely move at the end of the game in stoppage time he uh, he started off this lovely passing move with a run into the box uh, perfect combination play with Moritz Kiergaard who picked out Didic absolutely spot on only to find that as he was about to slot the, slot the ball into the net for a lovely goal who should be in his way but uh, Nene Dorgales who was there to completely uh, mess it up for him Unfortunately for Salzburg, uh, Dorgales did stick the ball away for 3-0. But you can see in the celebrations when everybody's enjoying the goal, Didic just turns around and puts his arms out like, what the hell was that? Like, that was mine, man. Like, how, how, how could you tackle me in the six-yard box? Like, that was so selfish. 
Yeah, that was a pretty funny moment, actually. Um, but not, uh, uh, it wasn't game defining, so maybe we can like put it away, but it was fun nonetheless, <laughs> in a way, but not for Dedic. <laughs> but not for Dedic, probably, no. But Salzburg definitely in the good column. Uh, two wins from two for them. Another pretty comfortable one, although they have started with what you'd say are relatively easy fixtures. VSG definitely in the bad column, though. Another loss for them, despite holding out. It was a little similar to Salzburg's first game against Altac, really, wasn't it? Um, nothing too spectacular. In the end, though, they were able to overpower the teams who are now both uh, at the basement of the Bundesliga table, Altac and then VSG this weekend. But they're both pointless. So they're definitely in a bad column. Uh, did you see anything from Altac or VSG this weekend to, to suggest anything other than that they'll be down in the relegation battle this season? Yeah, it's actually hard to say. Yeah, both teams uh, make the impression uh, like they are going to struggle this season and massively. And if we're speaking about VSG, the biggest concern obviously is defense. Uh, it has been a point of criticism for a while now. Uh, even last season, uh, there hasn't been a week without uh, anyone complaining about uh, uh, some defensive mishaps and so on. But then again, uh, at the core of their defense last season, there was the duo of Rafael Behunek, who, yes, he had his epic bad days, but when he had good days, it wasn't as uh, terrible, I would say. More good days than bad, in fairness. Yeah, 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 eventually. Like... Um, his bad days were spectacularly bad, so this is why we remember them more. But um, anyway, he had uh, his handful of really good matches and his move to Willem second is uh, pretty well deserved, I have to say. And uh, Felix Bacher, who also progressed really well last season, he was picked as one of the two captains, uh, which is a, an interesting system at Vesgeti uh, Hall this season. And he was in a pretty, pretty good shape before uh, sustaining a muscle injury and ruling himself out for several weeks. So now VSG, who um, are notorious for some defensive misunderstandings between uh, their central defenders, uh, defensive midfield and uh, the flanks, have to uh, redo their whole defensive system by replacing both of their technically primary centre-backs. That's not an easy feat with no budget. Exactly, but uh, they have uh, they uh, brought in uh, David Guganik. They brought him back, as we know. And there's also um, Stumberger. But uh, unfortunately, this week, I know Red Bull Salzburg is not the easiest assignment, especially when uh, it's the first time in the season you go out in this uh, uh, constellation in defense. But uh, what we've seen was subpar, even knowing these conditions. We will see if it improves somehow or if uh, Thomas Zilberberger will find a way to do something with that. Or maybe they will find some free agents or cheap option to bring in too. Uh, because, yeah, Stefan Koch has uh, mastered the concept of uh, bringing people for basically nothing. And this more or less working uh, during the past years. So we'll see. But for now, it is a clear danger. Yeah, and with Thomas Silverberger at the helm, as you said as well, he's a wily, wily old fox, I guess would be the, the British expression. I am sure he's cooking something up, which is going to turn things around for VSG at some point. They simply just know how to get the job done, even when it looks like everything's against them, don't they? And uh, in the good column for me this week from VSG is at least that away shirt 
it's probably my favourite shirt in the Bundesliga this season. I absolutely love that one as uh, somebody with an with an eye for a football shirt. So uh, yeah, I, I wish them some good luck in their bids to turn it around. We'll talk about Altac a little later as well because they got steamrolled four nil by Rapid. But um, from struggling teams like Altac and uh, VSG to some other teams that are expected to struggle. I was at Blauweiss Linz against Hartberg on Sunday, and that turned into a 3-3 thriller. And now on my good and bad lists from this one, there's there's so many different things in, in both columns for both teams. I just can't believe it ended up 3-3. Yeah, that was an impressive result and more impressive because uh, Hartberg yet again uh, did lose uh, to goal advantage. Yeah, we all know this uh, famous saying that Tunil is a dangerous score and so on, which they did uh, exactly uh, lo- uh, losing the Tunil advantage uh, in the first round. And this time they made it with uh, 1-3 ending with 3-3 and this might um, point at some problems in many ways actually from physicality to leadership to um, mental uh, well not problems I don't want to point it this way but maybe some some composure in this way so uh, or maybe they're just not awake in time for the season I don't know, Uh, but two rounds out of two with exactly the same mistake is the same. But uh, then again, kudos to Blauweiss-Linz for using this chance. And especially kudos to Ronnie Valdo, the Liga 2 legend, absolute legend, who has been uh, like the key player in the second division for uh, several seasons in a row. And finally, at uh, 30-something years, he got to the Bundesliga on his actually second attempt because he was an Austria-Vienna player in 2017, but played uh, zero matches because of a nasty pubic bone inflammation back then. And he was sent to the uh, reserve team in the third tier back then and right now he is finally here in the Bundesliga and uh, in this game in this round he scored his first Bundesliga goal and had his first assist yes uh, he was a key part of this Blauweiss-Linz comeback I have to say Hartberg for most of that game looked pretty good I don't know what to make of Hartberg and Marcus Schopp on the touchline at 3-3 was just so confused and I have to say I'm confused as well because I think he's got them playing quite good football but maybe they're trying to take too many steps or or, or sort of run before they can walk a little bit because it was 3-1 another good performance from Hartberg he's essentially been unfortunate to see them go 1-0 down with the penalty right at the start of the game and then there's the controversy there of was it a double kick from Tobias Koch maybe it was it's really really hard to see that but they obviously got a little bit unlucky with that Um, you saw all the players all the Hartberg players were putting their fingers up saying 2-2 you know he kicked it two times Um, and you when you see the reactions like that that are completely unified you sort of know that the players all saw it you know there was a bit of an injustice there anyway they recovered from that well scored three goals. They were looking really comfortable. They even missed a penalty in the midst of that as well, with Providence having his spot kick saved by Schmid, um, who might be a bit under fire in the Blauweiss-Linz goal, actually, because they just brought in uh, Andy Luxer uh, yesterday. That was sort of announced during the game, just as a side note there. But anyway, Hartberg cruising at 3-1. I really thought they had it wrapped up. Ronivaldo pounced on a loose ball, started a little move out to the right, finished it off. Really nice to see. And we thought at that time, 85th minute, it might just be a consolation goal. But of course, we also knew that Hartberg were fresh from throwing away another two-goal lead just a week ago and that there's a bit of belief crept back into the stadium um, in its first 
home Bundesliga game, I should say. So Blau-Weiss-Linz's first Bundesliga home game in 26 years and the first one ever at the Hoffmann Personalstadion, which was a really nice experience, if a little bit windy, <laughs> I have to say. So it was a little bit windy there, but... Um, yeah, lovely little stadium. And like I said, belief grew at 3-2 then, 85th minute. And as uh, as you mentioned, not only did Ronivaldo score the 3-2, he assisted the 3-3, which was Julian Gullis, the captain who'd been dropped after his performance against VRC. He came back on and kind of bundled the ball just about over the line. It was far from a clean goal, but two goals in three minutes and Blauweiss Linz had levelled it at 3-3. Hartberg, I don't know what which column to put them in. They're unbeaten after two games. They should have six points from their two games, though. And instead, they have just two. Um, will those four points cost them at the end of the year? Or is this something that they can say, you know what, it's been a good start. We just haven't turned our performances into points yet. But actually, it, uh, it suggests a more positive trend for Hartberg this season. Um, we'll have to see, actually, because it can go both ways. Uh, it's still too early to say that four points lost in the first two rounds could cost them something. I'm thinking of the split already. <laughs> yeah. There's always one point. It's always one point. Yeah, but uh, they also have a lot of chances forward to lose this key one point. So we'll see about that. <laughs> but uh, actually, yeah, you've mentioned that uh, Hardberg are probably maybe trying to do things slightly more complicated that they're able to do or they run faster than I think or so. This actually reminds me of Marcus Schopp's first season at Hardberg several seasons ago, uh, because Hardberg looked exactly the, the same back then when Schopp just came in and tried to rebuild things for his own liking. Uh, and that was uh, one of the key characteristics of Hardberg back then. It was one of the fun, most fun teams to watch in the whole league. Well, they still are sort of, <laughs> but uh, back then it was like the uh, this difference to other teams was drastic. But then again, they lost uh, key points really, really easily. They uh, had um, very high goals, uh, high score lines uh, almost every week and so on. And what we are seeing this season slightly reminds me of that. And actually, the processes in the team are also slightly similar because they had a big squad re uh, rebuild. Okay, Marcus Schopp returned to the team in the middle of last season, but he didn't have much chances to turn things to how he likes them to, to, to be done. And this preseason and this season is where Harbour turns back to Schopp's way. And maybe this is exactly the process we are seeing right now. It could well be. Um, the reason I brought that up was just because of the way they gifted the ball away for what turned out to be Blauweiss-Linz's 2-3, the Anschlusstreffer that, that got them back on the hunt for that unlikely-looking point. Um, it, was a, it was a real gift when you're cruising at 3-1 up. They just allowed Blauweiss-Linz back into the game, but it was a very exciting one. You mentioned, yeah, Hartberg used to be real merchants of a good old 3-4, 4-3, 5-3, um, things that sound like formations, but were actually scorelines. Um, this was Hartberg back in the day, wasn't it? So maybe shades of that coming back this season. But I've got um, some more good and bad from this Blauweiss-Linz 3, Hartberg 3. And it was a bad day for the Blauweiss-Linz printer. And I can tell you that because me and uh, it wasn't just me, uh, the accreditation like hadn't printed out. So when I came to pick up my accreditation, I couldn't get it. And so all they, they, they had to go upstairs, go and find somebody, come back down with uh, an empty accreditation, just a plain white accreditation. And then they just wrote my name on it, scribbled my name on it and sort of ticked all access for everything. 
But of course, then when you're in the stadium walking around and you show people your accreditation, like, no, I'm allowed to go in here. And they turn it around and it's just like a plain accreditation, which somebody's just literally scribbled on and sort of ticked like, yeah, yeah, he's, he can, he can go in there. It's like, it looked so non-legit that I was like, okay, bad day for the Blauweiss Lintz printer. But you know, it's a new stadium. There's, there's little issues like that. So if that's the biggest complaint I had from the first game at the Hoffman Personal Stadion, then it's not, uh, it's not a big complaint. And in the positive column, I thought it was a good day for Irish football fans on Twitter, especially because uh, Connor Noss, the uh, the German slash Irish player, came on in the second half for his home debut. Uh, he did the same against VRT, actually, came on in the second half um, for, for Blauweiss-Linz. But there's uh, a player with a link to Ireland in the Austrian Bundesliga, and uh, I'm sure quite a lot of people who track the Irish players abroad will be enjoying that. Yeah, surely. Absolutely. A more obvious candidate for the good column this week would be Eska Sturm, a 2-0 win against Lask. And it was marked by a wonderful goal and another goal from the new striker as well, wasn't it? Sturm sailing at the moment in the Bundesliga. Um, Yeah, absolutely. They have a very positive start to the season. They are picking up basically where they left last season. And... It's really nice to see how they are uh, rebuilding their uh, attack after Omega's departure, who was maybe supposed to be the biggest attacking hope this season. But they have uh, Shimon Vladarchik, and I think um, it's a really interesting replacement. And he's already sailing. He's already scoring goals here and there. And uh, um, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, we heard the criticism before the season that he doesn't score good goals. But I just thought, in sort of contrast maybe to Emega, who's gone, like, who cares what the goals are like? He put in a nice header for 2-0 to kill off the game. If you've got somebody in the box that when you can regularly get the ball into the box with the ease that Sturm can, if you've got somebody who can just sniff out those chances and put them away, then who cares what other qualities they've got, really? If they're, if they're dangerous in the penalty area and they stick it away, it, it simply doesn't matter what else you can do. And I thought in, in some ways, not to be too critical of Emega, he was almost a little bit of an opposite to that because he had all these technical qualities, this amazing pace, and everybody was always talking about how good Emega was and how, how many goals he should score and how theoretically he's going to be this great striker. But Vladarchuk just seems to be the opposite. He just comes along stands in the box, moves around a bit and bangs in the goals. So <laughs> it's like, it's not the worst switch from Emiga to, to Vladarchuk if he can, if Vladarchuk can, can keep up this, this goal scoring form, which has started so well in both cup and league. Exactly. And I think uh, Sturm fans are pretty happy of having someone who actually scored goals instead of theoretical goals. Because, yeah, we all like to discuss what could have been, what might have been, but there he is doing exactly his job. I wonder whether Sturm will not have uh, as many scorers. How many did they have last season? It was like 17 scorers, I think. 17 different goal scorers. Yeah, basically all the, all the field players scored something. <laughs> yeah, everybody. So I wonder if uh, Vlodarczyk will change that a little bit this season and we'll see more goals concentrated around fewer players. But still, two wins from two. And in contrast to Salzburg, Sturm had difficult looking tasks on paper and away trip to, uh, to Austria Vienna, which they sailed through very comfortably with a 3-0 win and then a home tie against Lask. So last season's second v third. And it was Tommy Horvat who scored that wonderful goal. I don't think he was even supposed to be a starter, was he, Tommy Horvat? But Prass picked up a last minute knock, I believe. Um, Horvat came in and just once again was the uh, the thorn in the side for Lask because it's not the first time he scored a stunner against Lask at the Merkur Arena. 
Um, yeah, exactly. He's uh, having really good luck and really good skills to perform according to that luck. We've got a bit of news about the Sturm Stadium. We'll save that for the second half because we'll talk about the European ties after a little break on this podcast. But um, we got a question about Lask and it refers to Thomas Sagida, the new coach. The question is, how's the season going to go for Thomas Sagida? Um, was it the right call to bring him in? Was it a mistake to fire Kubauer, basically? Um, and we had variations of that question and we've had them before and I'm sure we'll have them again throughout the season as long as Lask are not able to pick up wins? That's actually a difficult question because it has to be split in two different questions. Was it right to fire Kubauer and uh, what future awaits them with Zagete? Uh, because uh, speaking of Kubauer, okay, last season was... Um, uh, I think everyone had their skepticism about Kubauer's appointment at Lask and in general about Kubauer and his very reserved football style and very direct and uh, not as uh, complicatedly looking uh, football philosophy and so on. But uh, he had a very solid season. He adapted the team to his own ideas. He had a really good luck with new... Uh, well, they and Rado Bujanovic had a really good luck uh, with the new signings that started to perform and maybe slightly overperform at the beginning of last season, which helped them going. And eventually Lask had a really positive season, but Kubauer has never really been the coach with some long-term development plans. He has his assignment, he comes to the team, he does his job, he does his job with what he has right now and what he wants to do right here and right now. It's not thinking several steps ahead. It's dealing with the task you have day to day. And maybe Lask, who are maybe trying to rebuild their identity a little bit in the past uh, couple of transfer windows and maybe seasons in general, are looking for something else. So, of course, bringing in a younger coach with maybe a slightly different way of thinking could have been the way they want to go. In this sense, maybe Kubauer's departure slightly makes sense. But with Thomas Sagetta, we will have to wait and see how he goes because uh, he has a really, really difficult assignment because Lask have done, again, the thing they've done uh, several transfer windows before. They have a really, really massive squad. Their squad list is immensely long. It's uh, about 33 people right now, which is... Uh, I know they still have Europe ahead and they ha have chances for... Uh, European uh, group stage and so on, but 33 is too much even for this type of uh, fighting on two fronts. And they have a massive amount of new signings, which uh, are hard to build into what they already have, because actually Kubauer left a very, very strict structure regarding the starting 11. And uh, so Zagadza has a lot of work to do and probably those several weeks of the preseason weren't really enough to implement what he wanted to do with that. So uh, maybe Lask will keep struggling in the next few weeks. And from there, we will have to uh, ask the question if it is going to continue this trend or there will be a turning point where things will start working just by click. Yeah, it's still very early, of course, after just match day two to start drawing any conclusions. But you're right. I think if we get to match day five, match day six, and they're not really turning around in terms of results, there is going to be some pressure building early on this season on Thomas Sagida at Lask. 
to move things to Corinthia, the Corinthian derby between Klagenfurt and VADC is a derby of sorts, a Corinthian clash at least. That was washed out, unfortunately. The pitch at the Stadion was deemed playable, but uh, I think they made the sensible decision in the end with um, rescue operations going on nearby and a lot of helpers and volunteers needed to sort out the flooding efforts elsewhere in Corinthia, including close to the stadium. They decided to call off the game so that all the security and safety personnel didn't have to be part of the match and the match proceedings. And uh, yeah, instead they could be available to help with more important things. So that was a very good idea, I thought. And uh, they even donated all the food and the provisions that were prepared for the match to the people who are working on the flood relief efforts on the Saturday evening. So a really nice community touch from Austria Klagenfurt there. We commend them for that. Um, that game will be taking place on Wednesday. So there's not much that we can say about that one. The two Vienna teams, though, we haven't spoken about yet. Both of them were victorious. Would you like to start with Rapid 4 Altac nil or Lustenau nil Austria Vienna 2? Anna, it's your call. I think the biggest talking point would be Austria-Vienna because uh, we are seeing their first efforts to uh, rebuild their attack uh, in the absence of Haris Tabakovic. And uh, actually, we can put them sort of in a good column because uh, this week, last week, we have seen two different options, how they try to turn it around. And both of them sort of work because uh, they used the false nine option with Dominic Fitz in the, their European game against uh, uh, Borat's Vanya Luka. And uh, right now we've seen uh, Mukarem Huskovic finally returning to the starting 11 after his uh, uh, terrible crash uh, in last October, car crash. And we uh, are seeing some creative solutions in the absence of uh, new arrivals, probably just yet, because we there are talks of uh, a striker incoming to them, and that might be uh, Alex Schmidt, um, but we still do not know for certain. But right now, uh, Michael Wimmer has to deal with what he has, and he has shown two quite creative options, and they worked pretty well. So yeah, good job. Definitely a good week for Andreas Gruber because Andy Gruber scored both the goals in the win against Lustenau. Interestingly enough, um, Lucas Friedrichas missed the penalty. Um, his father, of course, the ex-Austria Vienna player, many people thought that he might be the replacement for Harris Tabakovic, who, um, of course, signed for Hertha Berlin literally minutes after we recorded last week's podcast. So in my bad column for this week, unfortunately, is any Austria Vienna fan who bought a Harris Tabakovic jersey. And when you know, when you go to the games, there are unfortunately a very large number of fans who bought Harris Tabakovic jerseys because that was their main goal getter. He's gone. Gruber came in, put in a great shift midweek. And um, we'll talk about the game against Borac Banyaluka a little bit in part two, but also did the business against Lustenau. Um, where, do, where do Lustenau stand after two games? So they have picked a point against uh, hard work yet again, uh, as we've already discussed. But uh, in general, they seems to ha- seem to have like a slightly complicated start of the season, and uh, it mostly thanks to their quite conservative transfer policy, uh, because they are still not having almost enough players to fill their matchday sheet. They're the opposite of Lask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have two completely different approaches. Uh, of course, in Lucinau's case, it's also connected to their partnership with Clermont in France uh, because it's their third season or maybe fourth season they are working together. And normally Clermont sends several more players on loan uh, at the very end of the transfer window. We uh, already have 
several players uh, back from Claremont. For example, uh, Yadali Diaby, who's there for his... Uh, uh, not the first season he's there, but Lustenau are still in the wait of who and how their squad will look. Uh, so Marcus Mother has basically... Uh, is basically doing his job uh, yet again, working with what he has right now without uh, thinking of next week or next weeks. So probably this uh, this start is uh, absolutely um, in order for them, especially with the season production predictions and so on. They don't have enough players. They've got one point. Lask have got too many players. They've also got one point. Austria-Vienna got their first win. Uh, Rapid Vienna also got their first win, 4-0 against Altac. And in my good column there are a few players. Simon was actually at that game and he's the one who said there's a real feel-good factor coming back. It feels a bit different. They're playing in a different way to last year, just in terms of the the energy almost, the, the mood, the vibe being being really different. And we saw that even in the 1-1 draw against Lask. They were very impressive and they had the chance to build on what was ultimately a disappointing point um, in an easier home game then against Altac. But they did build on that indeed with that 4-0 win. Nicholas Kuhn, who... I really liked last season before he got injured. Really a key cog in that rapid offensive midfield area. He got two goals. Jonas Auer got one on his birthday. And Guido Burgstaller got his goal in the 12th consecutive home competitive match for Rapid, a club record. So, I mean, you can't say fairer than that, can you? 12 in a row, whatever way you spin that, 11 Bundesliga games in a row, 12 competitive games in a row. There's no way you can see that as anything other than a very impressive run. Yeah, Burstaller has been an absolute key player for Rapid and uh, basically at times of uh, in the last season he was their only lifesaver. But this season we're se- seriously seeing a much more positive turn of events. Even though the preseason looked pretty doubtful at points because they lost several unnecessary games and there were several injuries and so on. But surprisingly, they're um, in a very good shape. They turned up in a very good shape just right when they needed uh, and what I also want to highlight is actually their midfield, because in uh, the young Nicolas Zattelberger, they have probably found the solution to many problems they've had in the area. And also keeping in mind that uh, Lukas Gergic will be debuting uh, next week or maybe in a week or uh, we'll see when, this, par- uh, this uh, duo that they will have in midfield could probably solve their long unsolved midfield problems that probably date back to the times where when Stefan Schwab was in the team. So several seasons. Yeah, really nice uh, to, to talk about Sattelberger. He's been getting a lot of praise online. A lot of Rapid fans really happy with Sattelberger's introduction into the first team. And Gurgic, as you said, somebody who experienced European football with Lask, played to, at Hajduk Split since then as well, seems like a pretty shrewd signing too. Uh, The only question mark I have for Rapid from this week, the only thing that I wasn't sure whether to put this in the good column or the bad column, is that Rapid did this funny thing where they sold a percentage of their marketing rights to the Sport5 agency for around two or three million euros a year. But of course, that carries with it inherent risks. It's more like something that we've seen bigger clubs do. Um, with with a lot of risk as well. And of course, the risk is there for some potential financial gain. But it, it seems like Rapida may be trying to play catch up with other clubs who've been a bit uh, fleeter and a bit uh, swifter at uh, thinking on their feet when it comes to off-field things. But Rapide taking that decision to sell some of their future marketing rights, those things always fill me with a little bit of, uh, a little bit of dread, the potential for that to go wrong. 
and then you don't even own your own rights and and these you know these these money these sort of standard revenues of bringing in money no longer belong to you i always think that's that's something that doesn't make me feel good but then again i'm not an economist or an investor so i'm probably not the right person to trust my feelings on those things yeah i'm also not an economist or anything but of course uh, the danger just doubles with that when we are talking about a traditional club with a lot of following and so on because it's one uh, thing when it's something of a smaller scale and the second one when we are talking about rapid vienna but then again yes you are sort of right it did seem from an outsider point of view that rapid were slightly slow to adapt to the new economic processes that are there in the football probably like many in the league uh, but uh, then again at the uh, scale like rapid are uh, maybe it's time to uh, at least try new things will they lead to good or bad things yet again we will see uh, you are completely correct that there is some danger linked to that but um then again the world is changing in a way and football is changing too i do commend them for trying something new definitely um you're right about that it was a disappointing one for Altac. Not much to say on Altac. They're still waiting for their first point and their first goal. Plenty that needs to be done for them. But that will do for our Bundesliga review from match day two. We'll take a very short break and we'll be back to have a look at the European draws and the European action that awaits us next week. Welcome back to part two of the other Bundesliga podcast. We did have one European game to briefly look back upon last week, and that was a fairly rare European success for Austria Vienna. They went to Borac Banja Luka, they fell behind, but they responded brilliantly and they won 2-1. And it included Andy Gruber getting one goal and Andy Gruber setting up another, a brilliant finish for Manuel Polster. And they ended up running out 2-1 winners, 3-1 on aggregate, a comfortable win in the end, even though it didn't seem, seem like it for a lot of the, uh, the 90 minutes. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, Austria-Vienna created some problems for themselves, basically, and then was up to the task to solve them. Uh, but uh, the thing is, the road doesn't end there. It's just the beginning of the European journey, and the journey seems uh, pretty difficult because uh, Legia Warsaw waits ahead. And uh, after that, uh, yeah, maybe uh, because yeah, we are talking on Monday, and we already know the uh, further development of their European path. There is uh, Omonia or uh, Michuland. Uh, which can be worse, but can be better in uh, one way or another. Yeah, it's not too bad compared to to some of the options, Ammonia or, or Michelin. It's definitely a tough call. Michelin's a uh, very well-established European team over the last decade, but I have a feeling they're not quite at the same ebb as they were a few years ago. So I don't know if they'll be any more difficult, perhaps, than, than Ligia will be. To get to that stage, I'm not sure how I feel about Austria's chances against Lydia Warsaw, really, first. Um, yeah, I'm also slightly sceptical about their next assignment rather than the one that comes after that. Uh, because uh, Michelin have, uh, yes, they have this uh, amazing concept of uh, trying to be one of the youngest European teams uh, in Europe. We've seen that somewhere at some point here in the Austria, but uh, Michelin are 
sharing the same philosophy and the view, uh, but uh, in the past season or so, they have been far from brilliant, I would be honest, uh, from what I've seen. So uh, Austria Vienna's biggest problem is in Warsaw, and uh, this will be clearly a season-defining task for them. Very much so. Yeah, a really, really good test. Uh, it's a winnable tie for sure, but um, also one that wouldn't be a shock if they were to lose it, given their results, especially when you think that they got beaten so comfortably by, for example, Lech Poznan last season in Europe. It's a good test of how much they've grown under Michael Wimmer early on in the season and how much they can cope with this kind of European pressure. So, you know, that brings with it both both things. If they do get through that test, they'll be full of belief against Michelin or Ammonia. Um, but They've got to get there first. And at least we can say that the win both home and away against Borac Banja not only brought a couple of uh, little percentage points for the European coefficient for Austria, but it also will do them no harm at all when they look towards uh, the tie against Legia Warsaw. For everybody else, as you said, the date that we're recording, we've just had the draw with all the future potential opponents. Um, so we know how the lineups look for the rest of the qualifiers now. Let's go from Austria to Rapid. Their outstanding task right now is Debrecenie of Hungary. Um, but after that, they really couldn't have got much of a worse draw, could they? Fiorentina, if they beat Debrecenie. Yeah, that sounds scary. Just from the looks of it, uh, it is going to be a terribly, terribly hard task. Um, as we know, Fiorentina had a really good campaign last season uh, in Europe and uh, its returns to European scene, uh, still being one of the possibly toughest uh, uh, competitors that you can find in this competition, potentially one of the candidates to reach the higher states again, stages again. And uh, Rapid Vienna are on a good run right now, but is it enough? Um, we'll see soon. They don't play well against teams in purple. I just thought of that. Fiorentina, you know, the classic from one viola to another. And the viola in Vienna were good enough to pretty much sweep Rapid aside last season. So what can Fiorentina do if uh, Austria and Vienna were already too strong? I looked at the potentials for that draw. And really, Fiorentina were the only ones to absolutely avoid at all costs. The other one was uh, Brugge which would have been very, very difficult. They're a really experienced European team with a lot of good young players. But um, it was the likes of Hajduk Split, um, Pauk could have been in there. Basically, everyone else seemed a lot more uh, doable than, than Fiorentina. So for me, now that Fiorentina have come out of the hat, you've got to feel like Rapid are not going to be playing group stage football this season, are they? Yeah, they are like the most likely team out of those we have uh, to uh, not uh, made, make it to the group stage. Uh, but in other cases, the chances are um, slightly more positive. That is true. And at least, at least what Fiorentina has going for it is it is a massive game. Whether they win it or lose it, Rapid v Fiorentina at home is as good as you could have expected from or even hoped for for like a group stage game or even maybe a knockout game. So it's a pretty cool tie against the losing finalists from last season. You mentioned the other opponents perhaps have a little bit uh, more of a of a chance. Lask in the Europa League qualifiers have drawn either Zrinjski Mostar, a place that I'd really like to go, so I hope they get through, or Breda Blick, who sought off Austria Vienna a couple of seasons ago, didn't they? Uh, it was in 2021, and actually Bredeblik also won against Sturm in 2013. So they're sort of Austrian killers, in a way. <laughs> 
Oh dear. So we'll definitely hope for, for Zagniski Mostar then for Lask. Again, a good test for them and then new players. Perhaps this is the, the one stage of the season where having close to 40 players to call upon will help them for, for European games. You know, there's no, uh, no tiredness or early season struggles there in terms of finding fit players at Lask. And you've got to say, Lask have been punching above their weight and they've done well in Europe in recent seasons. So although, you know, Mostar or Breideblick will not just roll over in these games, there's uh, reasons to be hopeful for Lask. For Sturm, moving up to the Champions League, of course, their first outstanding task is PSV Eindhoven. That's going to be really, really difficult. But maybe, maybe you would argue that now the balls have been drawn, PSV is a tougher proposition than what would come in the next round, which would be either Rangers or Servette. If the if you look at the potential draws there, Rangers and Servette were perhaps one of the best ones. Yeah, it's uh, uh, similar to uh, what uh, Austria Vienna have. Like their main hurdle is right now. After that, um, Rangers and Servette at the current storm stage of development are doable. Uh, they are. Uh, they do not look like uh, absolutely impossible uh, opponents or anything. And uh, of course, in all of these cases, uh, anyone can expect interesting games. But it is a realistic task if the PSV games uh, go according to the plan. Yeah, as you say, first and foremost, PSV. We'd love to see them play against Rangers, of course, with the, the British connection. You know, Rangers going to Glasgow is always a great away trip. Having Rangers in Vienna is always really, really cool as well. So we'd love to see that. Um, but I mean, Rangers lost to Kilmarnock at the weekend. They are not the team that were able to really bring it like a couple of seasons before. And they were finalists, of course, two seasons ago in the Europa League against Eintracht. This isn't the same Rangers now either. So although they are difficult opponents for sure, I don't think they've got the kind of aura that they had in the last couple of years. And Servette, um, yes, they finished second in Switzerland. That's a decent effort. But they were miles, miles, miles away from young boys. I think there was a, a gap of 16 points at the top of the table. So although Servette were second, they kind of narrowly won a, a league well below young boys in Bern. Yeah, something like that. In Switzerland, the process was more of uh, who fails the most out of the uh, competitors for the second place. Uh, so this is why we are seeing Savet uh, so high up in the qualification rounds uh, for uh, Champions League. But uh, then again, it's a big question who comes the, uh, as the winner from this uh, tie. Uh, but all of the options are actually optimistic yet again, as I've said. But then again... Storm have to focus on. Yes. When you're talking Champions League, though, the door is just about ajar for them. The door is a little bit open for Storm to get themselves into that Champions League group stage. Do you think, I'm going to ask you to put your neck on the line here, do you think they can beat PSV? And do you think they will beat PSV? I think they can, but not necessarily will. But yet again, I'm very optimistic about Storm in the past several seasons. And... uh, at this point, I think they do have a chance and the chance is pretty decent. A lot of good players in there, a lot of players on good form. Also, if they lose, you know what? The Europa League would be great for Sturm. Exactly. They'll be really good in, in a lower European competition this season as well. So uh, there would be a lot of, um, yeah, they would lose out financially on quite a lot to not be in the Champions League. But still, the chances for them in the Europa League, I think, would be pretty good this season. The only thing I had for Sturm in the bad column this week was the Merkur Arena and the city of Graz. And 
the fans in Graz who will be denied Champions League football. This came with this draw today that we know now the playoff opponents, of course, will be Rangers or Servette, as we just talked about. But that came with the uh, the blow of the confirmation that if they do reach that tie against Rangers or Servette, that will not be able to be played at the Mercourt Arena. And group stage football in the Champions League would also not be able to be played in the Mercourt Arena. That sucks, basically. Absolutely. But eventually that uh, was coming for a while because Mercury Arena, as we know, it uh, is a pretty outdated stadium and that is lacking maintenance for quite a while. And that has been a reason for many debates uh, in the past several years uh, because Many people, including the club, are convinced that the company uh, that services the stadium, Messegrads, is not really exceptional at doing their job. Uh, we've seen several problems with the pitch, including problems with the pitch that uh, caused the games to be moved elsewhere from the stadium. And everyone who's been in the Mercury Arena for the past uh, several seasons also get the vibe. And it is pretty logical that at some point UEFA had to intervene. And uh, from the news we've had today, I probably understand it as they are uh, requalified there as a category three stadium in Europe or something. I'm not really fully sure they had the fourth category, but I think they had it before. So they lowered the category. So probably this what, what this is what happened because you need a category four uh, stadium to be able to play uh, playoffs and group stage of the Champions League. And actually, it's interesting that uh, the main reason for this reclassification is uh, the media. Area. So the biggest problem prob- that UEFA are citing in their decision is uh, the lack of uh, proper equipment and proper infrastructure in the media area for both writing press and uh, TV compound. But actually, this is uh, a very, very uh, high standard requirement for the uh, fourth category in uh, uh, for, for UEFA classification. So this is a massive problem. It's, it, it's just interesting that it's the only official reason for this. Yeah, as you said, it's a pretty dated stadium. It looks from the outside. When you're watching TV, if you watch the Bundesliga games, if you watch that, I know a lot of people on Twitter... Uh, who follow us don't really understand why there might be a problem because it looks like one of the better Bundesliga stadiums. You know, the fans are great there. The atmosphere is great there. There's no problems on that side, but you know, when you go there, it feels like it's, it's just old. It's outdated. As you say, fundamentally, it's not even about space for, for people like you and I, but the space in which to create like a top level TV broadcast apparently just isn't there for for the TV production side of things. And UEFA, yeah, as you say, they've, they've strengthened their, their position on that and said no it, it doesn't meet our standards so Sturm would have to play then presumably at the at the Wurdersee-Stadion in Klagenfurt so that's just it's far from ideal and it would be a bit of a dampener on what uh, threatens to be a very good European season for SK Sturm. Yeah, exactly. Because, uh, of course, Klagenfurt is not uh, that far from Graz. You can easily organize shuttles for fans. You can easily use public transportation, which is also not as bad in uh, between these two cities. And the Wörthersee Stadion, as we know, it is also a top-class stadium that can hold a pretty good events. Um, especially this, <laughs> sort out their traffic problems around the stadium a little <laughs> bit, but that's a completely uh, other conversation. Uh, but uh, still, they are robbed of the ability to play at home, at their own grounds, 
despite of how it looks and how old is that and despite of their own fans uh, because obviously for some fans uh, going to Klagenfurt in a working uh, uh, evening will be a problem and will be a reason to consider if they really want to do it or not so they are robbed of some percentage of their own audience and in general this is just not ideal because the problem has been there for ages and there is nothing uh, that is changing through the years. No, that's it. Frustration growing in Graz. And this is only going to speed up <laughs> that frustration for Graz fans because, yeah, no European football in the group stages of the Champions League at the Merkur. It strengthens their uh, spirit in terms of the aims to get a new stadium, as unlikely as that does appear to be in Graz with you know the money and the, the will in the local area, other than from the fans of SK Sturm, is basically not there to build a new stadium. So that does seem unlikely. But um, before we wrap it up for this podcast, one quick finish, another stadium move, which was confirmed between uh, the last podcast and this one, is the UFB Cup, because... Austria Salzburg against Red Bull Salzburg now looks like it will be played at Grödig, which is only just bigger than the Max Glanz Stadium where Austria Salzburg played their regular home games and uh, does not fill what I hoped would be this this last-ditch move to for, uh, to Lask, who offered the Raiffeisen Arena. I imagined filling out that game with you know 15,000-plus fans and, and having a great time, but apparently, no, it will be in Grödig instead, which is to be polite to Grödig, kind of in the middle of nowhere and doesn't fit that many people in. Grödig is a nice little cozy stadium. It fits about 4,000 people. But what are 4,000 people if we're speaking about probably one of the biggest matches in the past several decades in, in the Austrian football? From at least a, a fan perspective and atmosphere perspective and basically historical uh, perspective. Uh, so this tie is seriously... Seriously deserves slightly better, but yet again, with all respect to Grodig, because personally, it's one of the coziest uh, football stadiums in Austria that I've been to. But then again, it is not the right stage for something of that scale, because, yeah, Max Glan is small. Max Glan fits only 1,500, I think. Uh, fans and it lacks infrastructure for evening games because it doesn't have the proper floodlights and uh, so on. Like I can go on with uh, with Max Heicher Stadium Stadion's problems for for ages, but we're not here for that. But seriously, the move to Grodic is slightly disappointing, and I'm imagining that the fight for the tickets for this game will be absolutely insane, and this will be something we haven't seen in Austria for years and years. Definitely. We are already sweating on whether we're going to be able to get accreditation or tickets or anything for that game, because everybody's going to want to be there. Um, Unfortunately, I believe that game is also going to clash with Austria women against France women where we were hoping to break this record and get as many fans in as possible. But I think a lot of people who are interested in football in Austria will be kind of torn between those games now. And that's, for me, pretty disappointing. And it seems like something which, with a little bit more communication, could perhaps have been avoided. But I don't know if I'm being idealistic in my thinking there. Here's the thing, like, both of those games are organized by LFB. So um, this is an internal communication issue, I would call it this way. Uh, because if we were speaking about something organized by the league and by the federation, maybe that would have been understandable. But here, here we are speaking about two very high scale events. And also we are speaking about uh, the cup game that could have been moved because we have like the whole week or three days, the space of three days where to schedule it. But alas, that's how it is. Yeah, I thought they weren't going to do it when I saw that the clash was 
possible. I thought, no, nah, they won't. They won't do it. But they did. They did do it. Um, anyway, on that slightly disappointing note, I'll uh, sign off for this week's episode of the other Bundesliga podcast. Anna, thank you so much for being on the pod. It's been really, really nice to have you with us. I'm sure that we're going to check in with you again as the season goes on. If you're free, if you'll come back, we'll definitely have you. But uh, yeah, thanks a lot for this one. And thanks to everybody who's listened in. Cheers. Bye. Bye.